Hello and welcome to Just One Corneto, a Greenock Morton podcast. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at The Morton Forum. All of our panellists appear in a personal capacity and as such, any views expressed are personal to them. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this special episode of Just One Corneto. This records is the first of our A Moment in Time series where we take a detailed look at significant matches in Morton's history as well as the circumstances and context surrounding them. Today we are reflecting on that Peterhead game in 2003 in the third division. So joining me we've got our two of our regular panellists. We have Mr Alan Coyle who has done a lot of the, the legwork putting this one together. Alan, pleasure as ever. How are you? I'm absolutely fine. I'm feeling great. And by the way, I forgot to tell you earlier on, I am actually sitting, how sad am I, in a strip that one of our other our, our new guests has actually worn as well, in a yellow Morton away poster top just now. So that guest will know where I got that from. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Stephen McElhaney. What vintage top have you dug out for this one, Stephen? Yeah, I'm actually wearing a T-shirt that's got a picture of uh, Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth getting married at SummerSlam 91. <laughs> You did ask, guys, that's what I'm wearing. Fair enough. And we are also joined by our guest, Gordon Richardson. Gordon, thank you very much for coming on. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Um, I didn't get the fancy dress memo, I'm afraid, so I'm just in my civilian clothes as well. Alright, guys, so a little look at the context around in this game. Douglas Ray saved Morton from liquidation in 2001 as the season's about to start. Although the makeshift squad had an encouraging start to the season, it was clear that we were going to struggle. Strides were taken off the park. Despite that, the club were relegated to the the fourth tier of Scottish football for the first time in our history for 2002-2003. Rays began to invest heavily in the club's infrastructure, hospitality areas are developed and most significantly the cowshed was restored, the introduction of seating areas at the front. There were some quite significant additions to the squad at the beginning of the season. Derek Collins and Warren Hawke returned to the club in 0102. On the last day of the 0102 season, Douglas Rays introduced a new signing at halftime on the park. £50,000 to Stirling Albion in exchange for Alex Williams. And Douglas Ray's reaction used to describe Williams would pale into insignificance following the next signing. So we've signed John Mazzano from Atalanta and it was described at the time as Morton's biggest ever signing. Not to put any pressure on him. He would be accompanied by returning local hero one David Hopkin after 10 years down south, including Scotland Cats five years beforehand. There were other signings like Paul Gawkin at centre-half. An uninspiring first third of the campaign forced Ray to sack his second manager in a year. Dave McPherson was simply not cut out to be a manager and following a 1-1 draw with Queen's Park, he was relieved of his duties to be replaced by former Dundee manager John Cowboy McCormack. January signings Chris Miller and Eddie Annan would bolster the first-team squad. There was momentum gathering, including a memorable cup victory up in Dingwall. Towards the end of the season, looking the last six games that appeared to be in Morton's hands, that was until a near-disastrous drift to Clifton Hill, which saw Albion Rovers snatch a late winner for the second time this season, and it was our old enemy Mark Yardley doing the damage there. There appeared to be a costly injury when David McGregor was stretched off, and it would also be the last time that Graham Dale was seen in a Morton jersey. What followed is part of Green at Morton folklore. Five games, five clean sheets, five victories, and we were champions, but that does not tell half the story. Warren Hawke, the super sub. The late winner up in Mayfield to sink Challengers East Fife. The impact against Elgin City with a, with a later goal again. Then a thumping home win over Gretna before a 3-0 victory up at Fourth Bank, which saw us go top with one game to play very much in our hands. All right, that was a very, very long intro there. What are your 
What's your first, what's your outstanding memory from that day, Alan? From the day itself, from um, from the Peterhead game, well, I was in, there are a couple of memories, I was in hospitality that game, and it was one with about three or, three or four weeks to go, uh, me and my pals, we did the opportunity to do it, we thought, do you know what, we're going for it. Uh, it was just, the, the whole day was the whole day was great. The thing that I'm remembering, which I'm sure the other guys will go to, was see just the buzz around Morton at that point. Um, the absolute positivity. There was no negativity around Mort at that point. The crowd that, that's in there, the flag day parade, the fact that folk had travelled through overseas. Um, there was a lot of chat because, I mean, the, the, the only way that fans uh, could really communicate at that point was through the forum and it was old forum, but you had, I mean, you had guys coming for, for the States over for it. It was just... It was a cracking day, and I just remember thinking that at, at no point did I think that we were losing that game. What about yourself, guys? What was your, your kind of first memory of that one, Gordon? Um, similar to what Alan was saying, um, kind of aware there was going to be a big crowd at it. Um, obviously, the kind of the rise of the forum at the time um, from around the world getting together and mentions were coming, but also your family members and friends of friends at all. You hadn't seen it capital for years. They were all coming out to the games. My kind of priority was basically make sure to get into the game because obviously we're, we're stung in the past with the Dundee United game so um, but I'm quite superstitious we had the same spot all season um, so I kind of wanted to get in and make sure we got the same spot because I realised obviously it's going to be a lot busier so I thankfully again we got our own spot and um there was a lot of kind of stuff on before the game, the Mayhews, dancers as usual, um, the, the flag parade and stuff like that. I just soaking up the atmosphere early on. It felt like the warm-up had been on for so long, but it was probably just so. Aye, a good uh, good early atmosphere anyway. What about yourself, Stephen? What sort of age would you have been at that uh, game? I was 12 that game and uh, I, I genuinely cannot lie here that this was my favourite season ever as a Morton supporter. Uh, I missed one game all season on holiday and me, me, Chris, me Chris and my dad went to all the games on the Morton supporters bus at the time and I've got so many random memories of that season that are like excellent memories, just a fantastic season. It was the first time I'd seen Morton play at Hamden. John Adams scored a 20-25 yarder that in my, in my head was like 40 yards out and then I started describing it and my dad was like I was like outside the box but um, <laughs> I had so, so many great great memories that, that season Big Jim obviously stumped up the cash for us that season and we moved into section D of the stand after having been a bit of nomadic existence in the far end of the stand for the season before uh, during the kind of terrible cowshed era uh, and we started sitting in section d and we'd our own seats which was we've got our own seat in section d and it was, it was brilliant it was just me and, it was just me and him that sat together in stand so that was the first time i ever had this experience of just me and my dad at the football as well christopher was still uh, either playing football or in the cowshed and that was just always me and my dad brendan wasn't old enough to go to games regularly yet me and him sitting in the game every week you'd go in and what we're saying earlier on about things in the the club improving, just wee daft things like you used to go into Capital on a Saturday in them days and the wee, what's now Brendan's office was a wee shop and they had the big kind of display you get in your local convenience store with all the half pounders on it. Every week you'd go in and pick a wee packet of sweeties. It's just wee, wee things we don't do anymore. But that was just wee things that you, you couldn't do before that. And that wee touch that during the He Who Shan't Be Named era that was all I could remember. I couldn't remember before he was there. You didn't have things like that. Like, do you know what I mean? It was just these wee daft touches that for a wee boy at my age, it was brilliant. And then as the season went on, there was, as you've mentioned, some of the, uh, the great memories. But one memory I'd, I'd like to share for that season, that Section D, I don't know if anybody's ever sat in Section D of the stand, um, but I was the youngest in Section D. 
Um, and then my dad, I think, would have been the second youngest guy in Section D, and maybe another couple of guys his age. And then it tended to be retired gentlemen who tend to support Morton through thick and thin, and like a moan, but like to cheer Morton, right? And they don't tend to cause much trouble. Morton were playing, uh, I think it was a League Cup we played, St Mernon, right? Um, and that game you mentioned, Mark Yardley scored. And see when Mark Yardley scored that goal, a St Mernon director, who may or may not have been Stuart Gilmer, turned round and done the old get it up you sign to everybody, right? And I have never seen such anger in my life. <laughs> I, I thought he was going to get alert. There was folk trying to climb into the away director's box to get to him, like totally outraged by his conduct. And I, I just, I remember sitting there absolutely fuming, thinking, I hope one of these older guys actually does something about this here, because that's not right what he's done there. And he was right in front of me, he was like two rows in front of me, because we sat right behind the away directors. Um, but I, in the East Fife game, you said when Warren Hawk scored, I, I remember Warren Hawk coming on and everybody singing Warren Hawk, Warren Hawk, and then when he scored, that was just pan, pandemonium. And the, I think I think that stadium holds something like 1,500 people, and I think 1,400 of them were in the half that Morton had. There was people on the stairs, there was people doubled up, and there was, what a mental that game. Um, led us up, as you said, in the last five games, the second last game of the season. Uh, led me to one of my favourite moments ever as a Morton supporter. Uh, I I had this kind of... I always thought Morton was going to win the league, but I, I was young, as I said. I turned 12 in the December that year. I didn't really believe it, but I always thought I would might win it, but Morton had never won it in my life. Well, they had. They'd won the second division when I was uh, just coming up. I was four and a half. I don't remember that. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't... I was at the game, but I didn't remember it, so I, I wasn't used to Morton winning it. And, but when Morton scored to make it 3-0 and the whole Morton then started singing Stand Up for the Champions, I remember looking about and going, oh, this, is, this, is, this is good. I could, get, I, could, I could get used to this. Obviously, I thought we were going to win the second division, first division, Premier League, keep going and just keep winning. But aye, uh, it was a fantastic season, honestly. Uh, for a boy of my age, to have a team that were so likeable, played good football, attacking football, uh, it was fantastic. I remember I was just I'd just turned ten. I um, actually a, a week before the the Peter Head game I'd turned ten, so I don't my memories of this are very very hazy. I think my my first memory of the Peter Head game was we always my step mom went to games with my mum and my stepdad. We would always you obviously go in and sink the street. We always make our way up to the where the old kind of fence in the cowshed was. We they stand round about there. And remember just getting in that day and seeing the amount of people. And I still remember Graham just going, nah, there's not a chance we're getting anywhere near that. So we kind of took refuge behind the goal, just the, in the Sinclair Street end. And I've, I've never been, to this day, I've never been crowded in somewhere. Never been cramped into somewhere quite like it. God, did you still, do, were, were you still going to the games? Were you going to the games with the same guys you go with now? Pretty much, but uh, sadly they've kind of... Falling, falling off one by one, really. Um, kinda, at that point, though, um, what we kind of found was we, a lot of our pals weren't Morton fans. Kind of started coming to the games, um, obviously because the, the previous couple of years we'd had, um, they weren't Morton fans, but they had a kind of an affection towards us because we're from here. So because obviously we survived, um, they kind of felt, you know, they wanted to come and see some games and stuff like that. So, but I felt it was the season went on, you know, our hangers on grew and grew. Um, so that that was a good thing. But I just as soon as they they arrived, they left as well. The, the next couple of yeah. seasons after that, but I still uh, like to. My pal Mark and uh, the Scallies and guys like that. So yeah, pretty much. And we were going long before then as well. So yep. 
That's a good point about uh, attendances as well because we we had a, a I don't know what the average attendance was right one of you will know it or have looked up right but we had a big average attendance that season right um, in general obviously it was massively inflated then by the the big big attendance but with a big average attendance in general and I knew folk that I was in school with that were Celtic supporters that went to watch Morton on a Saturday because you had kids for a quid or something like that right and also Celtic got a long run in Europe. Uh, that was the year he got the final, wasn't it? I yeah. got the final. Yeah. So they were playing on Sundays quite a lot. Um, and then folk were like, as you say, Mortimer were doing well, or relative well, in a title race, exciting games, big games, games they had to win. Ticket prices, uh, I've not got a clue what ticket prices are, as if, as if 12-year-old me was paying his sell in, right? But ticket, ticket prices obviously were a lot more reasonable than people tend to find them now. Um, but in a different world almost um, and people were tend to go oh, yeah, I fancy going to watch Morton this week and even as a young boy I could see that happening so uh, it definitely happened Do you know the thing that, like the, average, the average crowd from that season was about 2,300 I've just I've got it up on stats. so obviously the season before we were 1,250 there's obviously circumstances surrounding that but yeah average home crowd 2,319 Do you know see the thing I, I, I can remember in, I know it had been mentioned in the wee preamble about um, Alex Williams being signed but it was Alex Williams signing and then uh, Masano and to be f- fair play to the club I mean the club made a lot of it and they, 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 they got a wee bit of momentum you know behind it you know this, this was going to be our season kind of coming back and the things, did, I mean, the number of standout moments for that season, for example, could do Gretna in the first game. We had a big crowd can do to Gretna. Um, yeah. And I just remember, I remember walking in at the start of the game and they scored straight away and actually thinking, look, we, we can't get any worse, surely. We, we, we can't go doing a game. I remember just thinking, this mob are just up. But then there was so many, we had a 4-0 scudding away up at Peterhead near the start of the season. This is the season, by the way, my, my brother-in-law was in, uh, God knows my brother-in-law, was in the Queen's Park squad this season. And it was Cowboy that had signed him for the Yak. And um, so I, I kind of watched Queen's Park a couple of times and I'd seen him playing Peterhead. One of my memories is when they, he came on as a sub at Capolo and right in front of the cow shed. And I thought, I'm going to need to take cover here. He up, and I, he, I mean, Stuart, my brother-in-law can't tackle sleep. Right, God will tell you, right, because he knows him, but he absolutely cemented Yanni Utenen right in front of the cow shed. And I was like, oh no, he's not getting out of here. But there's loads of games. See that St. Murren game that you mentioned? I mean, what a, I mean, what a crowd there was there. And Scotty Bannerman scored this. Again, you're talking about, I, I had this vision of it being a 30-yarder. I think it was probably 20 yards a game. And then Hopkins scored as well. They've been two 0 up, and the one thing I remember about Yardley scored the winner is Yardley scored the winner. My pal who was there that day, who's a Celtic fan, checked his phone and he said, "I remember him coming to him from Scotland. Scotland Bear Islands game was on that day, and I'm going, have we got somebody called Patterson playing in our midfield? Because he's just scored, and it turned out just as the third goal went in for uh, Yardley scored, the Faro Islands have gone two up. I just remember what a sight and feel. But loads of great memories. The, the game up at East Fife was one of the kind of standout memories because the week before that the absolute dejection walking out of Clifton Hill was something to behold but um, the, 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 I, I would say the turning point of that season 
was that East Fife game. Hope going on and scoring, and the, the crowd is kind of leaving there thinking we, we can do something. But the one me and my pal, my pal John, always going about, uh, John Morrison always going about, is the Elgin game. So it was the Elgin game where they're stuck, we always just nom- we, we, we always just doubled the bus driver because it was this, mid- this pure back sub who came on, right, took it round somebody, rounded the goalkeeper, took it round Craig Coyle, steadied himself to finish it. And Robbie Henderson appears on the line out of nowhere and basically blocks blocks this open goal. And we then went on a, a hop came on, scored, and then we got another one. And there, there was so many the momentum. It was, it was it was a great season. It just see just the buzz of going to watch Morton every week, having the absolute crap that we did to deal with in the kind of previous seasons. And it was like a proper football team that we were following. Um, this, this, I would say, is if you if, if we're looking back in the last 30 years, I'm going to actually say this was the high point of supporting Morton. See, you on that, Alan, as well, right? So it's funny, as I said, for I think anybody growing up and when you kind of started love a squad like I think I definitely got the buzz for Morton before this but this was the first team that I was like aye that's my team Brendan got me a, a video and it was my 30th birthday uh, 2020 all different old Morton players that I was like aye they were players I loved and half of it was like that squad Robbie uh, Henderson Robbie uh, Henderson actually talks on a video and like laughs and says words to effect I don't know if I'm going to make took it me here or if I'm actually one of your favourite players <laughs> but you can't quantify, as you said, stopping the ball on the line and that like run of something like I think it was maybe three or four games in a row. The fact that he cut his head open and needed a bandage when you're when you're eleven and twelve as I was throughout that season, and a player cutting his head open and needing a bandage, that's that's, that's really cool. What a guy he tries his best, man. Like then when you get late later age and you think about it, you think alright, oh, he probably the cut in his head that kept opening up. But no, I thought that he put his head into a stud four weeks in a row for us. Um, but it's just it's it's there's so so much for that season. We're talking about East Fife away, was it three one or four one we beat them? The first away game? Aye, that's right. Um, I can't remember how the scoring went, but you can correct me if I'm wrong as well here, because sometimes my memory is wrong. But it, I'm sure that was the game that they scored and they played the that song that loads of Diddy teams used to play that we they they played that when they scored. So when we scored and we scored and we scored again, the Morton fans all done that and all danced and that was like proper <laughs> jubilation of like one of my first experiences of get it right up here because we just done it, done it right back to them. I'm not sure by way if that was the 3-0 game at Fourth Bank because there was a version of that that uh, Morton fans used uh, in a not too flattering way about Alan Moore and about how we were for sure going to win the league. Uh, no, we, we, we maybe done it again there, but it was definitely somebody scored by us. They played that uh, and then we scored. I'm sure it was East Fife. I'm sure it was. Some, some, if anybody is listening to anything I say and can verify that, I'm sure it was I'm sure it was that East Fife game and we done it. The Brian Power had a box on his head at the game I'm talking about, so I'll, I'll text him after this. He'll know. He might Because I remember he had a, a box that he'd got for the pie store on his head and Chris knew him and I, I didn't. I was younger. I was new in pubs and whatever they were at that point in time. Uh, I just remember thinking that guy was hilarious because he was jumping about with a box on his head dancing. Sorry to hijack you, right, but it, 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 it Actually, have a a one on one conversation here. But Gordy, who were you, were you playing for the Spinnaker at that point? I was, yeah, I was thinking about that mm. um, earlier on. I actually think 
that was before the Spinnaker, I think it was the Albert Hotel one supporters. Ah, you were for that. Who um, Gary Miller would set up. Ah, Gary yes. connected to the Spinnaker, I think. Spinnaker's yes. remaining in the next. Because, um, because we went to a broth, didn't we? So what a what a weekend that was. But that's a do you know, what, 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 yes, yes. What, aye, please. Uh, what I was <laughs> what I was <laughs> going to say though, right? See, see, bringing in the whole zeitgeist thing about the time and the, with the fans and the, just the whole community aspect of it, right? So I mean, there was about three or four Morton supporters teams playing, That's right? Yeah, and they were playing in supporters leagues. Um, the one, so the the local welfare league, well, it started, it wasn't called the welfare league at a point, and Musk went into the league. They became a fiction years to come, but the team that started was very much the fans, you know, supporters team, and it was set up by a good friend of ours, uh, Greg Metcalf, everybody will know him as Donga, uh, who'd obviously been involved in the save quite, quite heavily and he saved the toy and stuff, but I remember being actually, but I mean, we weren't much a team, we were all just fans who just liked playing football, and we weren't very good. And, but see just the whole buzz of being part of a football team that was Morton supporters and we would go away for and play away games and stuff like that I remember the, Queen of, the Queen's Park game came up. we played a game against the Queen's Park game the, the one that John Adams scored and see I'm telling you by the way see the buzz I, I think I scored in that game as well I scored and scored in a Morton tap I remember I been totally buzzing but that there was there was <laughs> fans events there was booze cruises there was all this stuff Ga- Gary Miller rest in peace um, did, did a lot of the speed work there. But, I mean, we think about where we are just now and being community run and trying to get fans on board and volunteer stuff. That was all happening then, by the way. And it was and it was all getting done just because there was there was a there was a there was a buzz about the place and fans were wanting to get involved and do stuff. And it was and to be honest, Doogie Doogie Reed, to be honest, did, did kinda of allow a lot of it to happen and he did facilitate quite a lot of it, right? He was quite um quite he, he got a kind of vibe that he was quite kind of supportive and um and he liked to kind of link in with the fans, which obviously he was on the pitch quite a lot of the time and the fans loved him being on the pitch um, at, at, at that time. But um, obviously it says, well, we'd, we've obviously watched the game through this video, which I think is probably worth worth mentioning about as well, which the, the Norman Burniston thing that can be found on YouTube. Um, I don't know what you thought of that. Did anything that you, that you saw for that, that was kind of any anachronisms of the time or anything like that? Well, I'm going to need to uh, say that I never done my homework, Mr. Coyle, that you sent us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I like the way that after Alan sent us, and for, for anybody listening, Alan sent his notes for, for the podcast, what he'd been looking into. Um, I actually lost count of how many pages it was, but he's put some amount of work in it, to be fair to him, right? But you can, you can tell the guy likes giving out homework because he actually gave us homework uh, fancy getting a pony off on that, that's for sure. You're a, you're a bit you're a bit of find out, Stephen. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm about to find out what happens when you've, when you've not done your homework. Coyle's, a, Coyle's about to start talking about something completely different, isn't he? And I'll be that wee guy that's not done his homework and has to start waffling and kidding on he knows what everyone is talking about. That's me I'll, every day, mate. I'll just, I'll just randomly say that would be an ecumenical matter every yes, now and again and that, yes. that'll be me sorted. <laughs> But uh, I know, no, Alan, I, I never done my homework, I never watched the video, but I did have it at the time when I had a VHS player. Uh, but uh, what my one comment about the video would be is that it, when we were talking earlier on about how much better run things were and things like that, capitalising on that, having a video that came out that everybody in their granny that supported Morton wanted to have some Morton video that you could buy and actually put it in your VHS and watch. Oh my God, that's like so yeah. futuristic for Morton. Um, 
that was great. The capitalising as well. The, remember the T-shirt? What was the T-shirt that said again? Uh, 2001, we were done. 2003, we're number That's one. That's right. And on the back, it said, thanks, I'm millions. And it was like millions sponsor sign. For absolutely fantastic. I remember getting that for going on holiday in 2003 in the summer and being absolutely buzzing with it. Uh, so I, sorry, Alan, I never done my homework, but I just wanted to add that comment. <laughs> I've watched it three times in the recent weeks, so I... Oh, 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 yeah, oh, for you. I'm actually looking at the VHS off it now, right? So now open up to the inside of it. Um, it's got like player photos on the inside, and the players have all signed like the actual inside of the the casing for it. But it's got a picture of David McGurn, and he's wearing an outfield strip. I don't know what that's all about. So, aye, and Warren Hawk hasn't signed it, but everybody else has. has even pictures, even then, even then, Morton managers didn't want to put goalkeepers on the bench. Well, yeah. that's what it was. They, 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 David McGurn, <laughs> you, you're an outfield sub, mate. Uh, but back to the question though, I think at the start of the, the video, um, obviously it feels doogie heavily at the start, you know, um, given his, what his pledges were about making the stadium a, a great place again and, and getting us up um, to, or winning the league the first the first uh, and the third, so like it was just all positivity, like he was loving it, I think he enjoyed the limelight of course. Um, but at the start, I don't know, like, you, you see them filming Doogie walking around the empty stadium, and it's kind of, like, built as pre-match, but it's, it's probably been filmed a few days by the game, to be honest. And they probably knew fine well if we get beat, they would never they made it into a video, so it's, it's uh, fine now, but a bit of clever editing. But no, it was all, it's, it's, it's good watching it again, just to get back those memories about how positive he was. And it was probably a honeymoon period for, for Doogie Ray. Um, things kind of didn't pan out, you know, over the next few years after that, but we were all we were all on board with him. Um, I don't think there's really any... Anyone had a bad thing to say, you know, about the yeah, at that point. So, spot on. Yeah. And to be honest, we've covered it before. I know with me and Dean were on one. I think Alan was actually on. Was Doogie was anyone of us, but with the money to to do something about it. Um, to, to be honest, do you know what I mean? So, I there was there was mistakes made with spending money on this player or that player or getting this player or that player a contract, but n- never in a. Never in a malicious way. Everyone was done for the, the for the heart. And for example, that uh, was mentioned earlier that either Dean or Alan said about spending fifty thousand pounds on Alex Williams for a, a team in Morton's position at that point in time. Fifty thousand pounds was was big, big money for us to be spending on somebody. Um, and if his career had went the way it could have went, obviously we know his career didn't go that way. But if his career could have went the way it could have went, that could have been one of the best investments Morton ever made. Um, yeah. Even given the fact that his goals were one of the big reasons we got out of the league, it could actually have been one of the best investments Morton ever made anyway. Um, but I, he wasn't scared to put his hand in his pocket and, and, and do it for us. Do you think that was a Dave McPherson signing, Alex Williams, or do you think we had a sort of scouting done on that, or it, it came from a recommendation or something? Just surprising if it was Dave McPherson, if he was trusted to spend that money. So he was, um, I seem to remember, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there was some sort of film with him, there was a season before that it was Alex Williams plus somebody else, and there was a, there was an STV thing about him. He was, I mean, the, the one thing you would say about uh, Douglas Ray is he did seem to be aware of who was who was the goal scorers, who were the form players in lower leagues. Um, the one thing I was going to say, by the way, those two years were, in, in, in his first couple of years in charge, it was decision-making. See, this, his, his decision-making was pretty critical and pretty kind of clinical. He got rid of the... He, he chose the right manager. He got rid of the managers, like, and then pretty timidly. Um He's given the right money. He's, it's, it's, it's all the right things that he's done. The squad that's been built, he's, he's funded it well at the right times. 
Um, and, and later years, he could maybe point towards the decisions that he's made. But that that was a thing at that time. It was all it was all him. Do you know what I mean? It was all Douglas Ray. Um, picked the right manager. He was a, he was the right owner at the right time. He picked and Cowboy McCormick the right manager at the right time as well. He was exactly what we needed. Do you know what I mean when he came in from uh, from Queens Park? But it's it's obviously quite a quite a nervy affair to to start us off. It's you get I think the from watching it back, I think you can tell the occasions maybe maybe got to both sets of players and then we've we've made the breakthrough. What a goal. Talk us through the goal, Stephen. Go on. So as I said, we sat in the posh seats of section D at the time. Um I think you had to pay an extra twenty pounds on your season ticket in them days to sit in section D. It's amazing I even got sweets in it going to the games when they'd spent that money on me. But uh <laughs> anyway, we sat in section D. Um Right behind the away directors, perfect view for the ball going into Scott Barnum. Ball goes in, uh, is it Eddie Annan that flicks it in to Alex Williams? Yeah. Can't mind. Anyway, yeah. Alex, Alex Williams, yeah. in, Alex yeah. Williams in does this kind of almost dummy fakes, it turns, and then nobody in, the sta- in the stand felt as if they'd seen Scott Barnum. Just, uh, I don't know if that's just me, but Scott Barnum just like, appeared like the, the Messiah just rose up to his right into the box. There he was, uh, bought his feet and as I said, I had a great kind of angle for the way the ball curved into the, the bottom corner and the place just went absolutely mental. Um, big guy that used to sit next to us, Ian was his name and his dad was, was like, well, they still go, I still see them going into the car, we still say hello to them. I'd guess Ian was maybe 30 at the time and his dad was, say, 50, 60. I remember hugging them, hugging the guys behind you in front of you, my dad hugging me up. Probably the last time ever my dad threw me in the air a goal. It's one, it's one of them things that, one of them weird things in life that you wish you knew when it happened for the last time. Uh, that's one of them things because my dad used to pick me up and throw you in the air when Morton scored. I think he did it that day, but I can't even remember for sure because it was that much bedlam. But I know by the time the next season started, I was just that wee bit bigger and just, nah, it was just, it couldn't happen anymore. So it might have been the last time, the last time that happened, but uh, as I said, it was absolute bedlam when Morton scored and then. Uh, after the goal, there was the kind of square go on the touchline by what five minutes to go or something. Like, I, I don't know if it's just me, my memory, as I say, there's a young guy so nervous, excited, everything uh, all at once. I don't know if it just from the goal to the end of the game, the whole place just seemed to be going mental, just constantly. I, I don't know if that's just my memory, but I just felt that from us scoring to the game finishing was just this constant, just big bag of emotion, whether that be excitement, nerves, whatever. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything like it since. I mean, even when we beat Peterhead in 2015 to win a last game of the season, it, just, it didn't even touch the sides to, to what that was that day. No. Uh, a great day again, nervous, win the league, all that. It was a fantastic day, but it was nothing like that. Nothing like it. CJ, that's... Oh, uh, just, just talking about the goal there, I don't know if any of you guys have noticed, um, might be too drunk, but um, in Hospitality Lounge there's a great framed poster of the Barnum and Goal. It's like a, in the style of a tactics board, and it shows you the, uh, ah, the, the circles and the, the passing, so yeah. yeah. yeah but I've, I would love to have that, I would buy that if they sold that, so that could be the next uh, bubble hat, get the, the Barnum and Goal sold as posters. 
I don't think the club made that. I think um, the club got somebody to make that for them, mm. to be honest. I mean, like, I don't think that's just something they've decided we'll just print. I think there's like a company, I don't know, footballtacticsboards.com or something. <laughs> you know I mean? there, there's somebody that makes them for a specific goal. You tell them where you want the people to be and what the, the minutes are. That's not to say that we can't get them to make us 100 and sell them in Smiths at a fiver dearer than they make them for. <laughs> See the. I see the thing I noticed, right, it's even before the goal was, uh, and you see it for the video, because the first half is going by the chances, right, obviously, uh, Stephen will know, know this for not having watched the video recently, but, but, uh, <laughs> it's the comment, commentary by Arthur Montford throughout the game, yes. which was, um, now, see the thing about the commentary as well, now, Arthur Montford is known for probably, you know, your, 1974, Scotland, Czechoslovakia, just kind of key games. And it's always sensation, goal, and it's a goal. Whereas, see the way that he's commentating in that goal. It's like, it's calm. I'm waiting for him to explode. But I, I don't know if it's because he was getting a wee bit older or something like that, but it's all just very calm. And the ball barreling, and he's, it's a goal for Martin. Is, is it like, not? Is it not because Coyle? Ah, it's, it's because he's, he's just added it after Coyle. I mean, there isn't a live commentator in the game. I, I know this. I am aware of this. I was thinking, see if you're getting off on Morton going. It was me, I think he was sitting in the director's box. I, Personally, like, I, I, I don't know, I, I just had this image that Arthur Montford probably just sat there anyway. See, even when he's a director, through every game, you know, like a hairbrush or something like that. Just, you know, just commentating <laughs> on a game, you know. Go! <laughs> but uh, the thing I noticed is a couple of things I picked to. Right? I never really thought about it before that there was a bit of a, a wee bit of a kick clash. And they're, they're, they're wearing this white tarp and we've got these blue and white hoops, but maybe that's just me. Um the, the first half was all them. The, the chances they had in the first half. The guy Tindles had two shots. Coyle, uh, all great goalkeepers are called Coyle, obviously, uh, had a cracking save, <laughs> had an absolute belting save uh, in the first half. Um, and it, it was just, I, I do remember it all being pretty cagey. I think Bannerman had a, a shot, but it wasn't really, we didn't really do much. But, I mean, by the second half, we came out and we went for them. Um, I felt, Alan, see, uh, see the first half, there was a, even though it was like a summer's day, there was a really strong wind going towards yeah. the Dublin end. Right. You've seen it in a lot of the a lot of the footage, like they're, going to, they're setting the ball up to take a, a free kick and stuff and the ball's blown away. So I kind of felt that we did struggle a wee bit. And you mentioned that Barnaman chance. I think John Massano ran the length of the pitch with the ball. But he was running against the wind and he wasn't the fastest to start with. But I seem to take like three minutes to get up the pitch. But he scared every one of their players in the process. But... Um, Aye, so I, I kind of felt like there was goal kicks going for throw-ins and stuff like that. Aye, it was pretty, pretty bad. And we probably dealt with it all right. Can I See, ask Benny, a question? You, uh, sorry, on you go. No, I was just going to ask a question on Craig Coyle, right? Um, I, I might be wrong here, and again, my memory sometimes sketchy. It wasn't your yes. You, no, you guys will keep me right. Did a game get stopped once because Craig Coyle's contact lens fell out? No, that was, uh, that was Jim Leighton in 1985, mate. So, ah. Sorry, might have been. I, I, don't know. I honestly, I remember a game at Capital getting stopped because our goalkeeper's contact lens get. Well, the people, everybody around us assumed that's what it was because he was holding his eye and everybody was was looking into the grass as if something had fell. <laughs> and I'm sure it was Craig Coyle with a contact lens that fell. But it's just one of them weird memories I've got. I like. I don't know. I don't know why it's relevant or like what it's got to do with it. I just wanted to know if, if that happened. But no, he's have let me down. Have I was just going to say, <laughs> see, Masano was mentioned there. You actually notice that this game, and and I, I think I'd mentioned his off air about uh, his Wikipedia page. 
Um, and one of the things it says in his Wikipedia page is how he basically, it mentions this Peterhead game and how he basically showed his worth in this game. And he, from the highlights, he does. I mean, as God had mentioned there, the drive and run. I mean, he was, he was, he really did take a, take a, take a game by scruffy and eight at points. Um, and I, the, the goal itself, there's so much about it. Uh, Bottigieri, Bottigieri gets a ball. It's kind of a poor clearance. Bottigieri gets, plays a really, really, really good ball. And Anand, um, whose touches, is a cracking touch. And uh, Williams has laid it off, and it's just, and it's even. I, I, I don't know if God, can you remember what it was? Barman said something in the in the video about a, a, he. Barman talks about a goal, and he's asked, you know, are you panicking? I can't remember what it was he said, but he was basically saying how calm he was. Yeah, um, I think he said he was uh, concentrating, a good first touch aye. after he over the shot of Alex passing it. Um, I he did. He took. I takes a touch with his left, and then puts it in with his right. He just passes it into the net. Um, and Mathers was a keeper too, so he was. Um, I thought he attempted to smash it, but yeah, it's a good finish. Um, yeah. And as you mentioned, I like the Mel, the right foot left back, um, turning on his right foot to play the ball into Annan. A great ball as well. So I loved. I loved wee Mel. I really. I thought he was just a. He just. He was. He was the first player I ever noticed was like. I'm not saying he was a poor player, right? But he he had a lack of ability compared to other players in the team, and he had to try harder to make up for it. And he tried really hard. Yeah, I, I felt like he was. He was one of the. He was like he was. He was a decent player, but he made up for what he was only decent in by running all day long for you and throwing himself into tackles and stuff. And his name rhymes with "She's always on the telly," yes. which was handy with with, with strong cups. <laughs> and, and as I said, when you're when you're eleven, say was it away to Berwick Rangers? I remember there being a, a particular long list of every player in the starting eleven. Uh, having their name sung in that song when you're 11, 12, see when you're that age and that happens. I mean, that's like proper, like, I, I'm laughing at this, I shouldn't have been laughing part of that. Was, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. But see, Bottigieri and Barnerman both came for Hibs. And I think Barnerman had, had a considerable, he, he, he played about 16 or 17 games for him, do you know what I mean? So, see for him to come down to us, bear in mind that uh, that was a team that was put together in the space of about two weeks pre-season. And Bottigieri came for them as well, but um, he, aye, he was somebody that, and he was like, I'm maybe going to say this, but he was like a lot of this squad, like they did really well, but no being unfair on them when I say that that was their level, their level was, they were good Division 3 players, there's quite a few of them when they stepped up to Division 2, they get found wanting and Bimel was unfortunately one of them, so, I mean it was a cracking guy and uh, good solid pro and all the rest of it, but um Aye, cracking ball, cracking ball. And then there was a Masano. Masano has a free kick about when about five minutes afterwards. I just remember being in the touchline. So I, I'd watched it for the time. I was in the hospitality and we'd come out late and we, for some reason, I mean, it would never happen now, we watched the game in the touchline. Like we were like kind of, you know, next to where the dugouts were. We were standing, well, not mm-hmm. quite on the touchline, but on the gravel watching it. And the angle that we had of Masano's free kick, it was an absolute screamer as well. If it went in, it would have brought the house down. So when it just absolutely, it's about 40 yards out and he smacks it and he, he catches Mather's off guard. It's almost like a, one of these Andy Ritchie ones where he's kind of faked and gone for a near post almost and it smashes off the... But for then on, we were catching them on a break and there, there, there wasn't really any risk, I don't think, of us no winning at that point. Um, but the Stramash in the touchline, I think, has been mentioned. That was that was glorious. There's a brilliant there's a brilliant photo of Marco Masano going over the top of somebody in that, isn't there? And he's like trying to get to somebody or pulling somebody back. Um 
the, is it Leon and Chris McNulty that share a lot of the old photos that when they yeah. shared the, the photos of this game yeah. when well had to be early May or whatever it would have been I remember seeing it and I think that's just that builder every time it comes up <laughs> do you remember how, do you remember hearing how it started I don't know God I don't know if you told me this somebody said how that whole stromash started I don't think um, it was but I think I think I don't want to it, it, so, it was a ball rolling and it was it was like two three minutes ago and it's rolling off the pitch. And it's pretty much rolling straight to Cowboy. And he basically just lets it run through his legs and the ball runs through the touch. Basically, the ball goes through the tunnel. Like, it's time-wasting. And, uh, and he t- one of their players, somebody in their dugout basically goes for him. And that's how it, and then it just, it just all kicks off. That, that, that was <laughs> it. And uh, aye, Marco, John Massano's got involved and then Marco appears. He's been subbed at that point. And he's got his, his, his bandage that's hanging off his head. Uh, I don't know how, <laughs> they, they, there you go, we had Robert Henderson and we had him. That was, I mean, that's what you're looking for as well. We had two guys with bandages around our head. But, but that was the thing, it was, it was <laughs> commitment for them, but it, they, they were proper aye. committed players, right? But, but here's one for you, right? So obviously on that day, if it came to blows, Cowboy would have leathered anybody on the Peterhead bench, right? And years later, if it came to blows at Easter Road, Jim Duffy would have took Neil Lennon. But who would I want to? Who oh, would I, absolutely. Who no would I want a touchline fight between Cowboy and Jim Duffy? Ooh. 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 Nate, 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 Nate. That might that that might be one. That might be one that we turn into a Twitter. Nate, Nate special rules. Yes. It's not a, Nate ladder match or nothing like that. It's just a straight <laughs> last man standing. Stick out on a pole. Do you know what? Chat amongst yourselves. <laughs> I'm putting that on. <laughs> I'm putting that on the Morton. I'm putting that on the forum Twitter right now, and anyone that wants any context will have to listen to the podcast. But see, um, having said that, by the way, so the Peterhead manager was a Scotland cap, uh, Ian Wilson. Funnily enough, not our Ian Wilson, but it was Ian, Ian Wilson that become their manager. Because if I'm right in thinking, they just they just been put up into the. Into the setup that season, hadn't they? Was it? Uh, no, sure. no, was it a couple years before. A couple years before it, because we, we played Aye, them. We played right. them uh, in about two thousand, maybe. Right. And I think they were either just up or just about to come up. Then I think they just came up. Then uh, we get pumped. You might remember it. We get pumped. I think four one. Aye, and it started our season. We could be four nine as well. But what I was going to say, I mean, they so they had a lot of lot of experience all the way through their team, um, which I, I didn't realise until I had a wee look at it. The amount of their players. I mean, you've got the you've got the Morton links there. You've got Mathers, Robbie Rayside. And also this one that would uh, they would mention Mark Simpson on the bench, who Dean's got a cracking start about. Um, but as well as that, I mean, you look through their team. Sean McSkimming had, I'm sure, no, maybe he didn't win a cup with Kilmarnock, but he'd been a kind of mainstay for Kilmarnock. Kevin Bain uh, was a Scotland under 16s captain in 1989 when they got to the final with that Andy McLaren team and all that. Uh, you've got Mark, Mark Perry, who'd been at Dundee United and Aberdeen. Uh, when the previous three or four seasons, uh, Andy Roddy had been at Aberdeen. Alex Bone, who gets sent off, by the way, God, did, did you see the sending off? The sending off, they, they win a free uh, kick uh, oh, near the end of the game. They should be attacking, and he starts shooting at uh, John Robottom uh, uh, for a second yellow. So, aye, aye. Uh, it was he, he got booked twice for mouthing off twice. Yeah, but having said that, he was excellent, man, and I'm sure he'd played against his. Um, the other one that sticks out there, by the way, is Doogie Cameron. 
Um, right now there was a Callum McDonald who seemed to be making some really barnstorming runs up the pitch um, but Doogie Cameron was a guy that scored against he scored the penalty in 2006 up that the, the, the kept us down um, I couldn't believe he was about 19 in this game what a paper round that boy had by the way I mean honestly it was like <laughs> that's like that uh, Scottish uh, footy cards or whatever you know the poll about the ageing footballers uh, he should have been on there but um, they, it, oh, we're not mentioning the referee. We had uh, who the, the guy who at that point was Scotland's premier number one referee. Uh, Scotland's very own. Uh, would you? Uh, uh, Kalina. I I Kalina Kalina I and John Roboth. <laughs> Do you know, I, 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 I made a note about that, Alan. Um, I, I felt like, especially the Misanos, see if one of the Misanos got fouled. Not even a bad foul. The other one was wanting to have a square go with the guy that fouled him. So that's how they were up for it, they were. And throughout the game, um, any kind of fouls there was, it was like players sort of squared up to each other. But Robot was getting physically involved in it, pulling people away. He was loving it. I know it's been like, it's, it, it did book a fair few players, but from from looking at it, he let a lot of, a lot of it go unpunished as well, which probably kind of helped the game a bit. Um, and obviously that led to the, to the smash and the touchline as well. See on the point of... Marco was very much at the heart of any time John get kicked. Because John is one of those players that if you're playing against him, you're trying to leave a bit on him. And then it would it would just be the next opportunity. Within 10 minutes of that happening, you could guarantee that Mar- Marco's went in just a, maybe a wee half second late or just left a wee arm in. Or, it was brilliant. I loved watching See, see on, on that point about like backing each other up, I think it was my first understanding of the whole like, kind of team that drinks together, wins together type mentality because that team seemed to all be pals off the park or the or the or mm-hmm. a big core of them at least were like like uh, John and Marco, Alec Williams, uh, Phil Canny, Chris Miller, they all seemed to be guys that actually socialised with each other, liked hanging about with each other, enjoyed each other's company and were mates. Um and I played in fact my teams as well and well not any level, right? But when I played in amateur fact my teams if something happened to you, uh on the park, the guys that run in and back you up, you remember it, right? And the guys that don't run in and back you up, I've played in loads of daft riots at football that when people don't run in, you go, nah, disappointing that guy, he never came into back whoever it was up. Um, you do remember these wee daft things. So that team was, that team never had that issue. That team all backed each other. But as you're saying, as soon as one guy was doing, they were all over. Um, and that, that obviously was it worked for them. Well, they were a successful team. You tend to find that with successful teams that they all, they all back each other up. But talking about the game, and we've, I think we've kind of covered the game. Um, two of the four of us on here were obviously old enough to maybe have a wee sherry after the game. I take it it was an an enjoyable night. Do you remember where you went, Gordy? Um, well, I remember the yard had to shut its doors because it was full. Aye. So whenever I went there, I'm pretty sure I went to Spinnaker. Um, and I. I think that was a night. I think the, the team went round every pub as well. Um, they did. I think the Spinnaker may have had their, their award ceremony that night as well. So, um, but I think the yard was meant to be the place to be. I was in the so we'd be sure we'd been in hospitality and it, the hospitality was absolutely brilliant afterwards. All the players were in. The one thing I remember, you know, when folk are jump, jumping about just celebrating was the Peterhead players after the game. You're just you're forgetting. I mean, so you know, obviously they they get the food put on and they're. They're out getting, you know, their pasta and stuff like that. And this guy's just sitting, just dejected, just in hallways as fans are going up and doing. And it, it was surreal because these, these guys are, you know, they're, they, they, obviously they stayed down. There was permutations that they lost, but they were there. And but, uh, I just I just remember all that. And then I think we'd, we'd, we'd got into the yard and the yard was absolutely heaving. So it was, but um, 
Aye. Um, That's the I was meant to watch for the youngsters, by the way. Aye. I was meant to watch myself because it was uh, it was my niece. Uh, it was my niece's christening the next day, and I have to say, I was I was I was I was barely holding it together for that. I'm sorry to say, but uh, it was I, I always remember that for that for me for the next day. But um, do you, what what I was going to say was a um, couple of things. Was there any players for then that kind of stood out to you? Um, couple of wee headings I'd, I'd kind of thought was somebody who maybe headed on to better things for that team well I, I, I still think I I still can't believe that Mizano didn't I know we've obviously Williams is the kind of obvious answer and I think it's kind of quite well documented that I don't think it was it, it was anything to do with football ability that, that kind of hindered his career but I'm surprised Mizano didn't have more of a, a kind of go of it in I remember speaking to someone in World Up, you know, I can't even remember who the guy was, who kind of claimed to be a good pal of Mizano, and his kind of theory was that what happened the following season and kind of how nasty it turned basically kind of ruined his, his love of football to the point where it just, that was him done, and he didn't really enjoy it much anymore. It's the top think, of the players going on. No, on you go, Gordy. I think, um, as you were saying, like about the kind of the team drinking together, but they, they drank locally, so the, the the fans and the players would mix a lot, and they had that good kind of relationship uh, that season that we won the league. So to then go the next season and have that kind of poisonous atmosphere, they've gone through they've gone through being best friends with the players to then to that kind of atmosphere, and it probably wasn't a good idea that the players still kept going it locally, you know, stuff like that. And so that, I mean, it couldn't have been pleasant for them living in the area um, and experiencing that. So yeah, it's probably did play a part in his kind of downfall I think uh, you're right because like talking about them going around the, the pubs and stuff I was in the Morton Club that night as a 12 year old obviously so just buzzing to be in a pub for the night anyway right but when the players came in Ke- Kenny Janis was DJing and he played right said Fred stand up for the champions as the players came in the door and that's another one of them moments that I still get like goosebumps for that song for that for that very moment uh, he put that on and as a 12-year-old, I'd, I'd never heard this stand-up for the Champions Right Said Fred song, right? My mum and dad didn't tend to listen to a lot of Right Said Fred. So... I've never, I have never heard that song. <laughs> and oh, I don't, heard it? Uh-huh, but I don't I... ever to hear it. No, honestly. <laughs> to be honest Listen, I'm going to give you homework, right? It's my turn to give you homework, right? What you're going to do after this is you're going to listen to Right Said Fred stand up for the champions and imagine a Morton team bringing the trophy into where you are as that's playing, right? It's It was just it was perfect. It was honestly perfect. But what, what were we saying about them? I'll maybe, uh, leave, I'll maybe leave out listening to right-wing brexit vaccine denier uh, Right Said Fred just now. But, uh, just, I'll just, take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't want to do the homework you gave me in that. Oh, wait, sorry, that's not enough to give my confidence. But anyway, but the players, as we were saying, about like winning together, drinking together, all that type of thing, right? It must be incredibly tough to go for that absolute hero stats. Like that night, they were absolute walking on water. Like heroes, to, as you said, a year later, still being in the same social circles or social areas, whatever. Oh, that must have been crazy. But the question that Dean asked about players that uh, went on to something, or Alan asked, sorry, about going on to something better or something bigger and stuff, I think the kind of, we have to obviously say the most successful player in that squad was Chris Miller. Yeah. Chris Miller went on yeah. to have, I think, he got a testimonial, so I'm assuming 10 years at St. Johnson. Testimonial at a club of St. Johnson size, which they're a relatively big club in Scotland. They're not one of the biggest, but they're, a, they're the level below that. Um, 
won a won a Scottish Cup, was it or a League Cup? Won a Scottish Cup, I think. With them, mm-hmm. won, a, uh, won a Scottish won, Cup and played. Won a Scottish Cup, so he went on to have. He looked a good player at that time. To me, as a as a young guy, he he looked like a, a real good footballer. But he went on to have a, a really a good career. The other ones that you say. A lot of them, a lot of them had all right, all right careers, um, or, or had already had careers. So, for example, Warren Hawke, he was coming to end his career. I think was it no the fall, two seasons after that, maybe he retired. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Collins, it was the same. He'd already had a a vet, a, glut, a glittering Morton career. Do you know what I mean? Um, he'd already had his career, um, and a lot of them played it all right. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, likes a. a Eddie Allen's another one, right with that as well. He was the kind of end of his career. David McGurn had a, a decent career at kind of at us, uh, Rafe Rovers. But then the rest of them, their careers kind of start to kind of peter away almost. And it's it's funny, do you know what I mean? It's it's, it's weird. It's weird how how that works. Phil Canny went on to have a good career in the juniors. I believe he, he played for a, a few junior teams. Um, so yeah. I, I I think listen, just even pulling two of them things together there, what you said there about the kind of drink, the, the kind of local local guys. Um, Chris Miller was was is the standout there for the one having a successful career. Chris Miller was also nineteen twenty year old, a local guy. He was very visible and he was very accessible and he's he's he, he's always he always came across a good guy and I dare say it must have been really difficult for him in the kind of couple of seasons after that because I mean his family would come to watch the games and it must have been difficult for them as well. Um but I mean he is the standout for having a, a successful career for that team. Um I mean I I kinda of thought of this thing about players disappearing for view, but See when you go through that team, right? There's so many that you're thinking, my goodness, they, they didn't do anything after they left us. And I wonder if it was just that you know what? That was C, C Division Three, good Division Three. That that was the level. That was a level in the game. Craig Coyle went on to a decent career in East of Scotland Juniors. Bottigieri kind of just stopped playing. Henderson went on afterwards to have a good, really good career in the juniors as well. I think he might have won the Scottish Cup. I'm not sure. Um at juniors. Uh, Barnerman, Barnerman's career. This, this was the, this was a high. Eddie Annan went on. To, Eddie Annan signed for Saint Murna next season, and then uh, he was only twenty nine at this point. Do you know what I mean? So that's, that's a really good signing. Signing Eddie Annan was a really good signing. You look at the rest of them as well. Phil Canny was obviously another local boy who's kind of very visible. He'd done it the done it the hard way. He's going through amateurs. He's going juniors. He's going to Clyde. Back in juniors, uh, he scored a couple of goals this season, actually. He had a decent impact off the bench. Um, but the striking thing is that this squad, apart from the three that had three or four that had, had good careers previously, this was that this match was probably the, the high point of their career. And that includes mm-hmm. that. I'm, I'm sorry, it, it's, it's really unfortunate to say because, I mean, we could probably have a whole episode just on him himself. But that's the case for Alex Williams as well. And I'd, I'd imagine, can, can you imagine, I can't imagine at this point in 2003 thinking this game will be the high point of Alex Williams. Just, he seemed to have the world, he's, but he was almost like a, you look at the way that Lee Griffiths is just now, and there, there's a wee element of Williams in there. He's, I, I, I think it was Mary's mentality, uh, and he's just, his ability to cope with things kind of held back. Um, so it's, it, this this squad is almost like a kind of squad that you kind of, kind of see in isolation because they didn't do anything. Afterwards, you know, I think another one that struck me, and I think was very, very unfortunate with injury. I was always really impressed with David McGregor. Yeah, he always thought he was. He looked fit. He looked sharp. He just, he just seemed to have the, just seemed to have the most horrendous, horrendous luck when it came to injuries. And 
obviously I think you guys are probably better placed than me. How did he look as a player at that kind of point when he was fit and playing? I, I remember the, the Albion Rovers game when he get when he got injured. I felt the game was over. Um, obviously, yeah. Yardley scored that that late winner and McGregor was injured, and it just felt like this isn't going to happen. But um, to be fair, I felt like. Um, at that point, that that's when Robbie Henderson kind of stepped up and, and had his best games for us. But I met McGregor. Um, I think Dougie had a, a soft spot for him. So I seem to think he, you know, for all the injuries he had, was stuck by him. And I think we maybe sort of mm-hmm. covered the cost of some of his operations and things. And I, think, I, I don't know when he left. I can't remember when he left. But I think he did a couple of seasons after that. Um, and he had different sort of spells of you know, a few games in a row t- together, but uh, it was just, it was just unlucky. Uh, and he wasn't, he wasn't I think he was still on the books. For a centre. I think McGregor was still on the books when, was it maybe the season before we won the second division under McInally? Um, David, David, David I, McGregor was still at Morton when Alan Moore was a Morton manager. Yeah, yeah. Um, David, right. David, David McGregor, it's, it's a bit of a, a, a sore point for me because I really liked him as a player. Uh, really, really liked him. Uh, and when he left, I was I couldn't believe he never got a testimonial at Morton. He uh, he he deserved a testimonial and should have got a testimonial. Uh, You're and, right. Twenty eleven was his last year. And at I believe Morton. I believe That's... mathematically he should have got a testimonial. Vigo the old ten year. He yep. should have got a testimonial when he left Morton and he never. Um, and that's one of them wee things that I just, it doesn't sit right with me that it, it didn't happen because I always liked him. As you said, he had a horrible time with injuries, different injuries on and off. And he was a, he was another one of them players that, I, I, I never thought he was a great player, but David McGregor was one of them ones. He was average at worst at anything. He, he was he was, he was was average at quite a few things in his game. He was decent at some other things and he was relatively good at some things and he was just all round a solid player. You very rarely seen him have a bad game and on the flip side, he maybe didn't have many great games this season. He was 7 out of 10 every week um, and successful teams are built of having 4 or 5 7 out of 10s every week and a few players that are going to start. He was integral to Morton for 10 years or different, different teams. He was there when... Quite versatile as well, wasn't he? Did he not play kind of anywhere across the, the back? back yeah, anywhere along the back. And, and as I said, done a job. Do a job for you anyway. It's just one of them points that always kind of... didn't sit right with me that he never got a testimonial, but I suppose that's, that's an argument for a different day. Tell you what, where were you guys? We kind of talked about what you did the night of. What was Greenock like to kind of drink in around about that period? Whereabouts were you guys doing your drinking? You can start off, Gordy. <laughs> uh, I was probably more, more of a Guruk lad. Um, yeah. I think I was maybe 22, so the sort of time I was going to Rico's on a Saturday night, I was probably getting too old for that. Um, that was maybe about to become Lava Lounge, so yeah, probably down in Guruk. I had a few pals moved to Glasgow, so we got to Glasgow for weekends and stuff like that, but um, the Spinnaker had uh, recently kind of became affiliated with, with Morton, and a lot of fans were going from there, and obviously the, the Dalbert Hotel as well in Guruk. Um, so the two, so Morton pubs, there's plenty of others, but the, the Morton pubs were always busy, you know, before and after games. Um, Aye, you were never, never short a night out. Aye, I, I mean, good, I, I was kind of mere good myself as well. Um, just just when you mentioned about the Albert, I mean, that's, that's, that's a place that's kind of, in the whole kind of context of, even, well, modern pubs, but just in general, and good, it was kind of solely missed because it, it had that kind of uh, beer garden area out the back, and it was always it was always a decent modern pub, and it had kind of get done up at this point as well. That was always used as the, the uh, welfare player of the year, too, so I always remember getting them. Um, the yard was mentioned did you, there. Did you win any? Oh. Me? Did I win any? Are you kidding? Welfare player of the year. Are you kidding? <laughs> what, what I've got to say, by the way, this year, so this was the first season that Musk played. 
and um, uh, we got we somehow got to a cup final. We got beat off of Stroon. I think Stroon Stroon then went on. I think went amateur. A lot of the players that went on to play for like Morkin Hill and stuff like that. They're a really good side, uh, and we were really chuffed that we were four one in the final. <laughs> I suppose well, we did well there. Um, but what I remember <laughs> is we did the Player of the Year award and Dongarani team, and when and I remember I'm going, hey, Alan, hey, you know, I you, you you might be up for an award here, by the way. And so I remember getting uh, getting Deborah and a couple of my pals going, by the way, not I kind of turned up smartly dressed, and uh, I'm thinking, by the way, I ain't play a player here, by the way, I could be in for shoot here. And all the all the all the all the prizes are are, are handed out. So what they'll know, Sudji, the goalkeeper, he won Player of the Year, and all these things, goal of the season, all the season, and I basically got worst dressed player. That's what I got that season. I was like, oh, I'm up your fiance and all that there just to see me getting worst dressed player. So, um, I was expecting, I, I was expecting most improved. I, that was always that was effectively what I got, to be honest with you. But, um, <laughs> I so. But um, <clears throat> I so obviously the kind of context of this time we had a I, I know we we'd kind of had a wee look at the music and kind of stuff that was going on. Um, before we look at that, I'd, I'd, I'd had a wee look at I'd found a couple of Telegraph articles at, uh, for this time. There was one for I think it was a few years ago. It was I found online. It was like an Amy Shearer had kind of done a kind of retrospective, and it was actually for like the before. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. kind of gallery of a few photos uh, on it, and it's for the sixth. Um, one of them. One of them is like a kind of pre-match, uh, kind of a match preview from Kevin Cleland, who was a journalist at that time. Uh, it's, it's entitled "The Calm Before the Storm." Uh, other things in there, kind of looking at Elaine C. Smith's come to green up for, and I think she's 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 doing there. Um, there. There's one about you know that you know that guy Tommy that used to that put all the flags up outside uh, Smith's all the time and would still still going still doing it right. So it's basically saying that this is the, the end of the road for his trainers so this is suggesting that he's chucked running and I'm like ah, he's, he's, he's still running that's a, that's a, that's a story and nothing and uh, all I'll say is if you can find this uh, there is a very prominent <coughs> uh, local teacher who is in the front page for a Notre Dame school show uh, and I think he's a pupil at that point which is quite funny to see um, but the other article that stood out so the day after this game was the Gurek Island Games and uh, and it's just it, honestly, you've real. I, I don't know if any of you have clicked on and looked at this article, guys. So it's for sixteenth of May, right? This is, by the way, this is this is prime partridge. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, so the chieftain of the Highland Games at this point, it was an absolute washout, right? Because of the weather, as happens, right? So the the Highland Games chieftain, right? At this point, big personality. Who do you think? Right. By the way, there, 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 there was oh. a whole. I'm looking at the article now, so I'm not going to guess because I can see that I can see the name, <laughs> and I would I would have a big hand and gain it away. <laughs> yes, right, I'll just say it's Jeremy Beadle. Uh, now, now, <laughs> now, now, the best thing about this, right, is you read the right, you read the article, and there's folk raging that, uh, and, and and this is a thing of its time that Sweet Sixteen star Martin Compton would have been a better choice. That's the film I'm, I'm forgetting. Sweet Sixteen's out at that point. That's a big kind of cultural reference Aye. point. Um, and yep. this is, I mean, ex Morton player Martin Compton. Um, but the crowds thought uh, Beadle was great. <laughs> as, he, as he shoot hundreds, as he shoot hundreds of hands. 
honestly this is the most Alan Partridge thing ever right I mean I, I'm, I, I don't want to speak you know ill of the dead but it raised controversy uh, because um, he basically he was two hours late and the reason he was two hours late right he turned up at Stansted Ryanair refused to let him on the plane because he didn't have a passport or photo ID with him and he actually went up to the he went up to he said I said to the Ryanair lady you obviously know who I am don't you he actually went up here and said do you know who I am <laughs> and she said and she said yes and, he, and then he said I'm going to the to Guruk for the Highland Games and she looked at me and said <laughs> no in this plane <laughs> You'd love to be in a job like that and like like just play them them back at their own game or something. You like somebody like Jeremy Beadle, you know who I am. Ah, sorry, Mr. Virgo. I didn't didn't recognize you. Put your waistcoat on, Mr. Like, and I'm not John Virgo, like something like that. Do you know what I mean? Just ask what I would do if I worked in a job like that. I I would just be nice to them. Fair play to whoever's written this article, by the way, because it actually does. They're obviously trying to do it a lot because it mentions about, you know, uh, Jeremy wasted no time in glad handling, glad handing the crowd. Oh man! I tell you what. See, looking at the the albums, kind of looking at the album chart, it's some of the albums and there are absolute class. You've got Elephant with the White Stripes. I know at the kind of age I was at that time, kind of P five, P six, busted by all the range. You've got Fleetwood Mac in there. Um, where else we've got Meatloaf's in there? You get by the way, by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's one of my all time favourite albums. You've got Evanescence in there. David Gray. Lincoln Park, or some properly big hitters in that album, John. Aye. Um, I, I don't I, I, You had a look at them, God. I don't know what you think about I was going to say, you, you mentioned about Stripes there. I used to about Jack White. Do you remember the song he did with Electric Six? Yes. Uh, Danger High Voltage, yeah. Do you remember yes. that? Oh, no. Yes. Danger. Danger. Yes. So, my, my memory of that year, never made the football, was walking into the back room of Word Up, and that yes. song was playing. Yes. And Mr. Doyle was, was uh, doing press ups on a dance floor to that song. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. We used to do like warm up, warm ups with the. Was that the same? Was that the same mob that sung Gaber? Aye, aye. That was that. It was a controversial song. Now, I'm right. I'm looking at the singles chart here, and there's nothing. I'm. I'm I, I can't remember any of this. The number one is Loneliness by Tom Craft. Oh, no, uh, his, Guy, we're at the wrong month. You want to go back to I say this these before, right? You want to go back to Christmas two thousand and two, right? Right, which was headed by Girls Aloud Sound of the Underground. Yes. Which, if yeah. any you say you're not a fan of that song, you're a liar. There's two. Right. There's, there's two types of people in this world: people who enjoy Girls Aloud Sound of the Underground and liars. That's the two types of people that are in this world, right? <laughs> so what they, a song that was. They came to fame through so that. That was pop idols, wasn't it? Pop idols, the groups or something. Uh, like pop, pop, stars. pop stars, pop right. stars, the rivals. And that—that that was basically the size of what that—that that was telly at this time, wasn't it? It was Big Brothers in its third year. You've got pop idols. You've got Fame Academy. I'm a celebrity. Had a second year. It's it's fame. It's fame instantly. The, the boom of kind of overnight. Can I give you an, an interesting cultural t- tip? But here that um, that season was the last season ever that uh, Morton competed when there was a World Wrestling Federation. If people, because a lot of people use that as a kind of cultural reference, <laughs> that when it stopped being called the WWF, the world changed, and that's when it because they get beat by a panda. Well, they did, aye, and so did so did we when Mark, Mark, Mark Yardley scored, but that's a different matter. <laughs> but, um, 
the June or July that year is when they, they officially changed the name to WWE. So I, a lot, a lot of the world changed that year. So I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking at the charts, and David Snedden is in. David Snedden is the top ten. He's in the top twenty or thirty twice. Um, the only ones for the and, and I don't even remember the song, but it's Fifty Cent. I take it that's like in the club, club. I take it that's that one. He's that's that's in there. Uh, that was a tune. Seven Nation Armies in there. Then there's some right key. Kim, right, and there's a sign of the time. Kim Marsh. She's got a song in there. Robbie Williams. Uh, Gareth Gates. Right now, here here is a crime against music. Right, Spir- uh, Gareth Gates featuring the Kumars covering Spirit in the Sky. Was that not for uh, comic relief? I, 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 I was a red nose there or something. Like that. No, that still, excuses it, but... No, that's... What the hell? <laughs> We're talking that long ago, Alan, right, that Kim Marsh, there will be people listening to this podcast that won't admit that they do it, right, but they'll know her as the woman for Corey. Steady. All right, right, right. They'll know her as the woman for Corey, but they'll not know she was even a singer. That's right. how long ago it was. Yeah. Do, do you know, I was, so it was looking at the telly stuff that had happened then. There was a couple of things that stood out. Right, now, Den Watts coming back in EastEnders was apparently the big thing. Massive uh, thing. Now, he didn't last long. I think he was, he was, he was, he was done in by a webcam, I think, wasn't he? In the end up, well, that was him. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. He was, he disappeared from view completely. Now, another thing, now, here's a thing about its time. Take the Television Awards at the time, the National Television Awards. Jimmy Cockhill getting a Lifetime Achievement Award for his performances in Brookside. And then seeing, uh, basically imploring Channel 4 not to axe Brookside, which I think they then went and did. Um, but Jim, Jimmy Corkle, I don't know if you remember him, he was he was uh, a kind of almost someone of a national treasure at the time. He did a fine range um, of denim shots, didn't he? Yes, he did. Double denim. The glory days, as Burniston would have said. Aye. Um, but uh, just kind of firing in, I was, I was looking at some of the stuff that was happening at the time. Um, I know we'd kind of we'd mentioned oh, Celtic played the Celtic were playing the the UEFA Cup about a couple of weeks after this, obviously, um, and obviously that season didn't end up for them. But um, it, it, obviously in Seville, and obviously nowadays, twenty years later, we've got two clubs with a Seville calculator. Um, so um, was uh, Stephen? Was your was your was your missus there? Was she she be too young to go to that? Shape? No, I did. Uh, I died in one of those. John was a, but he's he's a good example of what we were talking about earlier. But it's my brother-in-law who's told me like in, in later years when I've got to know him that that season what we're t- talking about about people going to watch Morton. So died in the real Celtic fan, Celtic season ticket holder. But when Celtic won the play on the Saturday, I would go with our pals to watch Morton because exactly. because because it was fun to go and watch Morton. Yeah, um, I mean other stuff I'm noticing the the week before this was a Scottish Parliament election. And I think yep. I said that to Dean, that, right, 2003, and that was the last time that uh, Labour, it was a Labour, a Liberal Labour coalition, but that was the last time that they were voted in to form a government, which, see, at that time, I mean, that, that, that again, that would have been mental to think about, but this was a kind of turning point. Because obviously this is a time of the Iraq war and everything around about that, and this is very much a kind of, a kind of again a kind of turning point in sort of UK history, I think as well. Alan, can we uh, can we just highlight to podcast listeners what is it you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a history teacher. I'm a history teacher. 
That's what I mean. They get, uh, he's actually turned this into a lesson and they've even realised. By the way, I'd like, I'd like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name him, but I'd just like to say, all right, uh, to the Juan Morton fan who goes home and away to games with his dad for my school in Solcuts, and I see him all the time. I'm not going to mention his name, right? But he knows who he is, and he's, he is a proud Morton fan at school in North Ayrshire. But listen, see, just looking at all this, I mean, it's, it's just the stuff at the time. I mean, there was, I mean, there was all the Iraq, the Iraq protests. I mean, there's the, 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 the anti-war movement was huge. Because um, even with that, was the two was two thousand and three. Not there was quite a lot of anti-nuclear protest that year as well in Scotland, kind of surrounding the opening of the Parliament as well, wasn't there? Because did the SSP not get? I think the SSP and the Greens done really well in the election. I think most of it was on the back of the, the kind of ban the bomb stuff, wasn't it? Aye, they, they take, and, and that is why, I mean, Labour, Labour lost seats at this point, obviously, because I, 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 I do remember, by the way, see the election, I think I've maybe mentioned it to you, Dean, the election for some reason, it was very similar to now, and that a Thursday was a public holiday, so I just mm-hmm. remember myself and my now wife kind of taking advantage of the situation, the situation. Uh, having a couple of refreshments and then me realising oh wait a minute uh, it's voting day I need to go and vote and uh, me going into a voting booth slightly worse for the wear but uh, that's the one thing I'm remembering about, <laughs> about then but uh, aye the glory, glory days do they not normally turn you back from a from a a polling station if you're half can possibly yeah, I don't know but, uh, it was hard to tell the coil at that period of time yes yes exactly so. <laughs> we've, all had, we've all had that phase haven't we <laughs> I'm going to do it now. <laughs> but, um, aye, so, aye, it was a kind of, I, I, I don't know, it's, I just think, right, Morton at this point, right, so we were, we were, you suppose, maybe to tie it up, but Morton at this point, and just, just the whole kind of country at this point, right, um, this is kind of three or four years before the kind of property boom, property bubbles burst. It's, it's, everything's kind of very much, you want it, you get it now. That was the thing with the telly at the time, you know, it was, it was kind of success now. And to an extent, I've always kind of mm-hmm. thought of, um, Douglas Reed, we needed him to do that, but he was investing heavily. And obviously in the kind of couple of years after that, he's kind of allowed the, the youth setup to slide a wee bit. And it is almost like, if we need this, I need to put the money in now. And obviously that, mm-hmm. that, that worked this season. That really worked this season. It didn't work the next season, and it was a wee kind of chasing her tail for a wee bit after that. But um, it's just this, this was a high point. This this was a really positive point, and it was probably kind of nationally it was kind of quite a positive kind of point as well. Apart for the obviously the Iraq war stuff and all that as well. But um, I kind of feeling it kind of folk were doing well. Local area was kind of doing all right. IBM still there. Um, You've got kind of just just in terms of investment and stuff like that. It was a kind of pretty kind of half time, I think, wasn't it? But um, I I'm getting tilt here to eat it, my son. So we have been growing here. Uh, <laughs> I just looked up. I just looked up 2003 for context, and I just realised that uh, regular England and Borussia Dortmund startup Jude Bellingham wasn't born to the month after the game we've been talking about. So there's a bit of context for you. Wow, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, Alan. I know. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm kind of thinking. I mean, folk are talking about you know Craig Gordon and Alan McGregor nearly retiring, and I'm, I'm finally thinking. I think it might have passed me by, and then you're telling me that about Jude Bellinger. Um, aye. So uh, what? What I, a season it was. I know it was cracking. But I tell you what. Just before we round off, aye, give us your if you had one word to describe the Peter Head game. How would you describe it, Alan? Um, joyous. One word. Gordon. Uh, windy. <laughs> Stephen. 
stunning. Aye, I think monumental is probably where I'm going. I think it's it was it was it, it's definitely one of those games where if I'm 85 year old in my deathbed, it's still it, it would probably still be one of the first things that I think of if I'm reflecting back on my days. It was just it it was magic, and I think there's a couple of people that that came to that game with me that day that that kind of caught the bug and still go to Capolo to that to this day and yeah just one of those one of those perfect days so I tell you what we will leave it there that's been a, a fantastic little trip down memory lane so Gordon thank you very much for coming on no problem, thanks for having me and a big shout out to Alan who as you can probably tell has spent countless hours researching all of this and putting all this together so thank you very much for that Alan you're an absolute pleasure as it always is and are we giving Stephen a, a punny I I think uh, it's it's got to be the sort of Simpsons esque. I must watch a Norman Burnison film five times. I must watch a Norman Burnison film. I I once got a punny. Um, anybody who went in Notre Dame will know who I'm talking about. But there was a PE teacher, uh, Saggy was his nickname, Mister Scott, in Notre Dame when I was in Notre Dame. And he was a Paisley bastard, right? He loved the Saint Martin, right? But he was a lovely guy. But he was a big Saint Martin fan. He gave me a punny for something once, and it was to fill a page front and back uh, whatever it was however many words and I copied out it was in our kind of memories in the programme Morton St Mun games and they were all Morton games that they'd won probably this season it might have been the programme of the game we were talking about earlier right might have been that season but anyway I copied this out front and back gave him it and he read the first two lines realised what it was and he went and got a lighter off somebody and stood outside the PE base and started as if he was going to burn it then scrunched it up scrunched it up and threw it in the ground and told me to pick it up and put it in the bin and I thought that's what I get for acting it I deserve that Sam is alright by the way for us in fun ah, he, was a, he's a, he was a great <laughs> teacher I, I loved him but he, he loved a bit of Morton St Mon Potter I'd imagine in the staff room by the way him and Jerry McHugh would have been going at it. I know they, I know they go on well, but obviously Jerry was Jerry was a massive Morton fan. Honestly, uh, he's he's Jerry McHugh is one of them guys that I have never heard anybody say a bad word about. God, God rest him. What a, what an absolute legend he was, and he made he made that period of time we're talking about. He was obviously a big influence in my life. He was a teacher in Notre Dame at the time, and coming into school and talking about Morton, and he would he would sing across the corridor. He he would shout for one end of the corridor there, hey, Michaelini, Michaelini, gets the ball, and you would have to shout back, scores a goal, and then he would make people sing Warren Warren Hawk. People didn't even like football, but he would, he would be <laughs> pointing at them, making them join in. Um, but there you go, by the way, CG But there you go as well. I know it's, 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 it's maybe a wider point, right? You're talking about a teacher, a teacher in a Catholic school as well, doing that when you've got probably there's a lot of Celtic going on there. And that probably goes back to you get guys like him who's probably encouraging wee guys to go to Capitol who are normally, normally Celtic fans. Absolutely. He encouraged yeah. people to go to Capitol and people went to Capitol so as they could talk to him about it. Aye. Okay. Well, brilliant stuff, guys. Cheers, cheers, Dean. Aye, we will call it a day there. We are probably going to look to do one more of these before we get back into our regular coverage of next season. So make sure you keep your eyes across that. And part three of Russell's season review will be live in the next few days. Make sure you check that out as well. Well, that's the show, folks. Remember to check out themortonforum.com for the latest Morton news, discussion and articles featuring the excellent match photography of GBR photographs. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and we'd love to hear your feedback or questions on any of our social platforms at the Morton Forum. Give me God, man.